Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's clash on monday's episode we went hell for leather in the road warrior and today we're revving up for a wild ride as we take a look at this week's challenger from 2015 it's mad max fury road as the world fell each of us in our own way was broken it was hard to know who was more crazy We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Oh, what a day. What a lovely day. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. Chris Dilly. January has been wonderful. Clash Butters have united in suggesting movies for us to cover. This is our final pairing, Fury Road versus The Road Warrior. A little reminder, if you haven't subscribed to us already, please do so. I know I say at the top of every second show every week, but I'm going to just carry on doing it until everyone has subscribed to us, uh, literally everyone. Uh, And if you can, give us a little rating. And if it lets you, on whatever platform you get your podcast, a review. It's very helpful. Uh, remind us, Chris, who gave us this incredible pairing? I'll just quickly say um, thank you to everyone who's written in and sent in suggestions for January. There were so many, um, so many that we want to do and we will do in the future. But also, you know, we got lots of lovely messages as well. People saying how much they love the podcast and also saying how it's really helped them um, get through these many lockdowns we've had, which has been really nice. And the podcast has helped us get through lockdown, as have your lovely um, tweets and emails. So thank you all for that. Uh, but this one came from Greg E, who suggested Fury Road because it's one of his favourite films and uh, The Road Warrior because we liked that pairing a lot. Good, good. Uh, yes, just to echo Chris's sentiment, uh, thank you. Uh, I, I read some of the emails uh, myself and they are very nice and uh, hugely appreciated. Uh, and thank you for listening. 
Chris, you took us on a leisurely drive on Monday with the Road Warrior, which means that Victoria is taking us for a spin today with Fury Road. V, take us on a journey. The world is once again a bloody awful place. Enter Max, a scarred survivor who's used as a juice carton of blood for a war boy called Nux in a citadel ruled by the really awful Immortan Joe. Then we meet our real hero, Imperator Furiosa, played by Charlize Theron, who's stealing Joe's wives via an armoured war rig in an attempt to find the clan she was kidnapped from as a child in the Green Place, the ever so subtly named Vuvalini. When it turns out that Paradise is now also a blasted wasteland, Furiosa and the gals turn this ship around to kill Joe and take the undefended citadel as their own. No storming is required. Max doesn't even stay, even though he'd be bob on for a shag. The end. (laughs) 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 You made it sound like there was more plot than I actually remember in that I know. I've tried quite hard because, and I don't mind that there isn't, but you could just like, they, they leave and then they go back <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. It's a weird one, isn't it? It's weird. That it's, I mean, it, it works. It does work. Yes. But the fact that they literally drive and then turn around and drive back and that is the movie is yeah. so strange. It is strange. And there's even a conversation where so, you, someone says we should go this way. And Max is like, no, no, we'll just literally go back the way we came. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Doesn't Furious attention go, but won't our viewers get bored? Sort of the same steps. And he's like, no, 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 no. There's, there's going to be some guys on poles, which will entertain. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I've seen this one before, um, but I only watched it. I'm a bit, you know, it's a bit um, embarrassing to admit it. After it was nominated for a shitload of Oscars, because then that got my attention because I I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. And now, maybe if it hadn't been nominated for a shitload of Oscars, I wouldn't necessarily have sought it out, but I did. Um, And I will say, watching it a second time, uh, I enjoyed it more because I understood whose story it was going to be. And obviously it's called Mad Max Fury Road. Um, so first time around, I was waiting for Max to be like, and now this is my story. And once this time around, because I knew that wasn't going to quite happen, I could relax into it a little bit more and I enjoyed it. But what about you? Yeah, I agree. I kind of agree with you. I remember in the review I wrote for it after my first watch, um, I did say it could have been called Furious Furiosa. Uh, I took a nap after that. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just, like that. <laughs> That's so rubbish. Uh, I, 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 was, I was phoning it. George Miller's reading it. Yeah, George Miller's reading it. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's why I called her Furiosa. <laughs> Literally, what I meant. <laughs> you, you've just said her name twice. That's not, that doesn't work. Um, no, I was uh, Furious Furiosa. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> it was towards the end of my uh, of my tenure at that particular publication. So you know, I, I, I really wasn't trying. Now, uh, I um, I was literally obsessed with the trailer for this film like before it came out it's probably the trailer i've watched most it's had about 15 million views on youtube i think i'm a million of those and um, it's the one set to verdi and I, I just couldn't stop watching it it's one of the greatest movie trailers ever it's in my personal top five favorite movie trailers and i just watched it and watched it and watched it and it's one of those trailers where the action is cut to the music 
And it's a work of art. So by the time I got around to watching it, I was uh, revved up, uh, pun intended, for this movie. And I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I do get what you mean. Second time watching, I liked knowing a bit more about what I was walking into. But it's never been quite as effective as it was on the big screen. I just don't think it's a movie that works uh, nearly as well uh, for a home viewing experience. Uh, but yeah, it actually won those Oscars, by the way. Six Oscars uh, it won. It was the most, it was the biggest winning film at the Oscars in 2016. Uh, mm. So yeah, it was uh, a big deal. Didn't win Best Picture, though, that year. It went to, it went to Spotlight. And, and I'm sure you went to probably the, the same big multimedia screening that I did, Alex. Do you think maybe you did? I, I, I think so. I think yeah. some, some level, some subconscious level, I knew you were in the room. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I, I remember that screening feeling like a real event. Because I'm not, I'm not the biggest Mad Max fan. I'll, I'll, I'll say that now. But it did feel like a big deal. And certainly uh, half an hour in when it fades to black, I seem to remember there being sort of cheers and claps, which you don't often get in a UK cinema, let alone one filled with bloody journalists. So... Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, as you say. Were you, cheering, was... were you cheering and clapping? God, no. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> I, sort of, I, I always wonder who those people are and do they work for the studio? Have they been brought in to cheer and clap? Because I'm like, <laughs> no, no self-respecting uh, UK audience member, let alone film journalist, ever cheers and claps in a screening. They're American. They bring some Americans in and the Americans hoop and holler and on our behalf. So yeah, that was my that was my viewing experience was seeing it then. But I agree with both of you actually. I think uh, watching it for the second time this week, I probably enjoyed it more. Although equally, I don't know if I would agree with um, the the statement that it's Furiosa's story because mm. I don't think she really changes or goes on any kind of personal journey over the course of the film. Unlike Max, who for the third film in a row rediscovers his humanity. <laughs> <laughs> where, does he keep, where does he keep leaving it? <laughs> he, he's one of cinema's great forgetful heroes. Uh, he discovered. No, I, I, there was something I learned in that. I forgot. Fuck it. I'm a loner again. <laughs> well, let's talk about the background to the film because there is quite a lot to get through. Um, so the uh, I'm just going to cite my references. There is a very good article in the New York Times from May 2020 by Kyle Buchanan, which tells the full story. So five years after it was released, he went back to talk to 20 people involved, and he talks to some you know really essential people. He talks to George Miller for a start, and the cast and the production designer about what making it was like. So if anybody wants to read that, you should. Um, but I will whip through some of the background to this film. So after doing the Road Warrior and then Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, not with dogs. Beyond three. Thunderdome. Yes. Um, sorry, did I say the? Oh, God, fuck's sake. Sorry. sorry. What an unprofessional. Don't correct me for things like that. It's irritating. I, I just feel that seeing as you're citing an article, people are going to think that Kyle Buchanan wrote Beyond <laughs> yeah, the Thunderdome. That's fair enough, yeah. <laughs> Kyle Buchanan would never do that. I might do that. <laughs> Ugh. You sound ready to get in a Thunderdome right now with me. I'm just not, I'm not in the mood for no. You sound like Alex right now. hasn't got a point in the quiz that he thought he should have. <laughs> I mean, he tried to turn Twitter on me. Listeners, get in touch. Let us know. Don't do that. Obviously. Mob rule. 
<laughs> right. So anyway, he thought he would leave it alone until he thought, what if there was a Mad Max movie that was one long chase and the MacGuffin was human? And thus the idea for Fury Road was born. But this is back in 2003. So Mel Gibson was going to play Max. They were going to shoot in Namibia and they start. They went for it. They, they took the vehicles there. They were building the set pieces. They were going to go for it. Then they got a call from the studio saying, you're not doing it um, and stop spending the money. So George Miller decides to do in a change, a departure of theme, happy feet instead. Um, and so does this film about penguins, which is a massive smash. And so you get to 2006 and he's got enough capital and enough momentum to go back to Fury Road. But by this time, Mel Gibson has been arrested for a DUI and made anti-Semitic and sexist remarks. And so he is not going to be in your film anymore. Um, they did say, George Miller did say, you know, he was probably too old by that point for the action that uh, George Miller wanted, but also he wasn't in a position to be hired because of the comments that he'd made. Um, Jeremy Renner apparently read for it. I didn't know if you knew that um, because they hadn't gone to Tom Hardy yet. But then when George met Tom Hardy, he said of him, there's an edgy charm, the charisma of animals, uh, which is something he recognised in Mel Gibson as well. So he he thought he'd found a suitable match for Mel Gibson. Mm. so then we've got a 2010 shoot uh, in Australia this time, in Broken Hill, which is where they were before. Um, but just unbelievably, it rained and rained and rained and rained. This, I mean, the, the sort of rain, quote, that happens once in a century. Um, so what was desert turned into beautiful flowers? The green place. Um, it became the green place. <laughs> the green place, yeah. Um, <laughs> So unbelievably, they couldn't do it because, you know, you need a desert. So George Miller said, let's wait a year, see if it all dries up. And then it didn't. And so let's go back to Namibia where it never rains. So so then then we're, what are we up to now? 2012, we're in the Namibian desert. We've got a script by George Miller and Brendan McCarthy and Nico Lathuris, and we've got our cast. And so we're off. Um, just a few surprising things that I read in this article, which I would never have known, is that Eve Ensler, who is very well known for writing the vagina monologues, um, helped flesh out the characters of Morton Joel's wives. Did you know that? No. It's yes. really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only learnt it from um, from uh, from the research on uh, this uh, this week's show. But uh, but yeah, it is. George Miller specifically brought her on. Uh, to be a consultant on um, on the scenes involving Morton Joe's wives, and I think the I film think, in general. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. She Eve Ensler was working with Congolese uh, survivors of gender based violence at the time, so she had it was like, oh, you did the vagina monologue, so you should do this. There's a, <laughs> a, a bridge for her, um, but I, I do think that's in, uh, yeah, I think that's a really nice touch because to try and bring a bit of lived experience to to those roles, and it's not like they. They sort of they don't have much dialogue, um, but it's just to help the actors find that space. I think that's a really cool thing to do. Uh, it was a very difficult shoot. Zoe Kravitz said, uh, by the end, we wanted to go home so badly. <laughs> you really do start to lose your mind a little bit. Charlize Theron said, I was incredibly scared <laughs> because I'd never done anything like it. Um, and so it had one more sort of hiccup before it was uh, in the in the 
in the bag, as it were, because Warner Brothers tried to shut it down again. So apparently they were told the camera's going to stop on December the 8th, no matter what you've got, and that's the end of it. But they hadn't shot the scenes in the Citadel, so they hadn't shot the bookends of the film. They tried to make it work in post without those scenes, but were really struggling. Then they were allowed to finish the film. They reassembled the team um, and they gave George Miller an extra month of shooting. And then we get the film that you know. Um, It made $374 million. Um, I've got was nominated for 10 Oscars, but did you say, oh no, it won six, sorry. Won six, yeah. yeah. Nominated for 10 and won six. So it really paid off. But what a crazy long journey from, Mm. well, when was Beyond Thunderdome, 1985, Mm. is that right? Um, So yeah, just unbelievable just the tenacity and also the fact that the shoot does sound really really difficult because for a lot of it your main characters are stuck in a truck very close to each other as well it was hot it was cold i think someone got hypothermia they were all covered in dust it just sounds like an absolute nightmare and to come out of that with anything let alone to come out with it some with something good is amazing i remember interviewing tom hardy in around 2011 uh, for sky uh, for not uh, this movie, obviously, because it was uh, much before then. But I did ask him about it because he'd just flown back. So he had jet lag um, uh, anyway for this interview. And in classic Tom Hardy style, so he sort of had his, he was resting his head on his hand and he had his elbow on the arm of the chair. Like, and it, like, but, and he did look bored. But like the way he does, he goes, he, he goes, I just want to say, in the middle of the interview, he's like, I want to say on camera, Alex, this is a great interview. I'm really enjoying it. I'm just really jet lagged. I just got back from the Mad Max uh, set. And I was like, oh, that's nice of you to say. How was it? And he just had this glazed look in his eyes. He's like, yeah, all right. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. So, yeah, I think he he had quite a hard time on this movie. I think he found the whole process quite frustrating. I think partly it was because the actors were given storyboards rather than a shooting script uh, every day for what they were going to be filming, which was George Miller's approach as a, a writer, Victoria. How do you feel about that? Actors being given images of what each team would be. It blows my mind. If it, if it was anything less than perfection, the film, I'd be like, well, I told you you needed a script. <laughs> but <laughs> turns out you don't. If you know what you're doing. I mean, I think the actors did um, really struggle because the, it's those micro moments of movement and action that tell the entire story, that you have no dialogue to prove your point, make a point, make a bridge between scenes, none of that. It is, um, it's an incredible achievement, yeah, really. Yeah, because Road, Wor- think- Road Warrior had 1,200 cuts and this film had 2,700 cuts in it. <laughs> and, and and Miller definitely um, said at the time that, that he, 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 he could see how frustrated Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron were getting with him, with the film and with each other. And because they, they largely... Um, uh, shot it in order. He said that the the first time they meet each other, they in the film they really weren't getting along with each other, and so that's kind of real. And he said the first time they're even fighting with each other, you could feel there was something there. And then the <laughs> first time they sort of uh, start sort of liking the other person, he said that was kind of happening on set at the same time as it was happening in the film. So he really put them through the ringer, and it was it was clearly not an enjoyable experience for either of them. But I think I seem to remember something about them saying in Cannes when they were doing the press conferences, they mm. almost apologised to to, it was, to George yeah, Miller. It was Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's the one who did it. He says um, a journalist basically says, "What was what's your reaction to seeing the finished film? You've just watched it with us." And he's like, uh, "It's it's amazing, and I wish I'd been able to understand George's." Um, 
what he was trying to do at the time on set because I remember being really frustrated because I didn't know what he wanted me to do at any particular time on the set, which you can imagine being fairly frustrating mm. for an actor. And he sort of goes on to sort of say, you know, what George was having to manage in terms of the spectacle and so many different elements going on that he uh, he sort of apologised and goes, seeing it now, I mean, it's brilliant. So, yeah, he does actually publicly apologise at a press conference, which is kind of rare. Yeah, and I think a lot of the actresses who play the wives, um, they weren't, they're not like, they're. some of them are more established now, but at the time they weren't established. And so I can't remember if it was Zoe Kravitz or Riley Keogh, but said like, we, we, we didn't feel that we could ring our agent at the end of the day and be like, is this normal? Like to, <laughs> for this level of stress and level of tension. And also I have hypothermia. So <laughs> I, I, I would quite like to come home. I just lost a um, Is that normal? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Rosie um, Huntington Whiteley's on fire, as I'm calling you. Is, 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 that, is that cool? Was she, that okay? was she, she never acted again, did she? She didn't, no. But then she's a, I mean, she probably was like, it's much easier to be a Victoria's Secret model yeah. than freeze my ass up in the as, desert. As, as we all know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and also, I think being a Victoria's Secret model probably is quite hard, but um, yeah, maybe. Oh, is, haven't we already had this conversation on the pod about whether fucking modeling is hard or not? I, re- I, don't, I don't remember it going well for anyone last time. Maybe we should skip over whether modeling is a difficult job or not. I just don't want to be the, the person to make an assumption about a world I know nothing about and be like, oh, that looks like a piece of piss. Because what do I know? Presumably, they are at the very least a bit peckish. I mean, I <laughs> again, again, I don't think I think we should just move on. I, I don't think we, I, even when we try and go, let's discuss modeling and it's and, and, and the actual challenges that being a model involves. It just it sounds it doesn't come doesn't come out well. Let's crack no, on. It doesn't sound very sincere. Okay, fine. Right, so let's just establish the world. We've got another voiceover, Tom Hardy, growling at us that my world is fire and blood. I was like, same, <laughs> Tom Hardy, same. Oh. Not going out for a drink with you. Fucking hell. <laughs> you just sat down. I've literally just put a pint in front of you. My world is fire and blood. Excellent. Have you what have you watched any box sets? <laughs> oh, there's been oil wars there's been water wars our bones are poisoned Max lives in a literal and metaphorical wasteland because uh, the world around him is blasted and he's haunted by visions from his past and these ghosts of the people that he's lost and left behind and I do get it and it does need a voiceover because he doesn't talk to anybody but uh, you know how I feel about voiceover and I still yeah, I still feel like it with this. Like I know there's no other way around it, but it is a shame that it's a voiceover. Sorry to say, um, but the point of the opening sequence is to establish the energy that this film is capable of. So Max is on the run from the War Boys, and the thing is absolutely nuts. So the speeding of the frame, the slowing down, the um, the pure energy of it, and it just leaves you thinking. Can this film keep this up for two hours when you're not sure because you've never seen it before? That is a thrill. Like, am I really in for this for two hours? But <laughs> it's just film a thrill. going when for two hours, not. and do I want it to keep it going for two hours? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But then second time round, it's like I know that it can, and that is also a brilliant treat because I know I'm not going to be disappointed by a lag in the action. Mm. Do you know who the little girl is that he keeps having visions of throughout this film? Isn't it his daughter? No, 
Uh, he never had a daughter. He had a son uh, in the first movie who dies. Uh, no, I did. I wanted to know because it's always bothered me. I couldn't work out whether it was a continuation of something that had happened in the previous movies where it was one of the Lost Boys in Beyond Thunderdome or, or like you say, uh, his child. It's. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether you're going to love or hate this, but the answer is found in the Mad Max video game. Uh, which was set uh, just before this film and tells the story of a Morton Joe's son, Scrotus. Uh, that's right. <laughs> His name is Scrotus. And uh, Max uh, is uh, fighting with Scrotus. Um, he becomes involved in trying to topple him. Uh, he also comes across a young mother and a child, Hope and her daughter, Glory. And Scrotus kills both of them before Max can save them. And then Max kills Scrotus. <laughs> so their visions of the mum and daughter he failed to save in the video game. And also the end of the video game is him being chased by the war boys belonging to Scrotus, which is how Fury Road starts. So that is an explanation from a video oh, game. Oh, that's yeah. good. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. It's part of the official Mad Max canon. So it is genuinely attached to this movie and the story here. Oh, that's. I like that. I don't hate that. I don't hate that one bit. So then we meet Immortan Joe, who is bloated and his skin is like separating, and he's wearing a chest plate so that the huddled masses underneath him will see him as strong and healthy. Um, and he rules uh, with an iron fist. What? 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 And yeah, no, you're right. Would you not, if you had? I I actually think it's a very clever move. If you had sores all over your body, a perspex bodice is exactly what I'd wear because <laughs> I genuinely think any material, it's going to rub. Uh, it, it, you run the risk of tearing the boils and, you know, flaky skin would it'd stick to them because your skin is wet. And so Perspex, absolutely right. I think it's a very smart move. I no, I wouldn't. Um, I'd wear cotton. I'd wear a light cotton. Um, nope. Nope. You'd, still, you'd still, you'd rip those sores, V. You'd rip those sores. I love the side characters all the way through this film and particularly in that scene. I like the bloke whose job it is to simply blow talcum powder on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and then we also very quickly meet Charlize Theron as Imperator Furiosa. Shall we talk about her for two minutes? Sure. Uh, two minutes. Is that? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) No, we can talk about it for more minutes if you like. Uh, how do you feel? Right. A, do you think it's her film? B, what do you think of her as a hero? Um, and C, just general thoughts. Wow. I think it's her film. I think she's a, an amazing hero. I love the fact that her um, her disability, her missing arm, never gets a mention. Um, I love the fact that she's got a shaven head. So she was talking to the costume designer, Charlize Theron, because originally her character had quite long hair. And when they were working out the character and the things she's been through and the life she leads prior to getting in that war rig and making an escape, her hair was completely impractical. So it was like, why don't we just shave it off? But I love that because it goes against the, you know, the, the well, look at the wives with their beautiful hair. Like it goes against the idea of what makes a woman have power. I think, I, I think she wanted to shave her head and she wasn't sure how it would look. And so she said, yeah, they've asked me to shave it for this movie. And then when people sort of go, it really doesn't suit, she go, yeah, I know. I know, but I had, to, <laughs> I had to do it for the movie. But I know it doesn't look good. But you, you want to try it out once. I'd love to shave my head uh, if someone went and when people go, "What the fuck have you done?" Go, it's for a movie. 
I didn't want to do it. Well, we'll do, do it for the podcast, Alex. You can say it's for the podcast. I'll shave your head. <laughs> I don't I mean, know why, yeah. that, that, why that, that made me feel weird. It felt like ghost. It felt like the pottery scene in Ghost, but with you behind me and clippers. I don't like it. With, with, with Victoria <laughs> singing Unchained Melody. <laughs> Absolutely fine to do that. Happy to do that. Um, I mean, I, I like what we don't find out about her. You know, she's obviously got the the tattoo, the stamp on her back of her head. So was she one of the brides? Previously, we don't know her background. We know she's after redemption, but we never find out what she wants redemption from for. Um, and also, I just love the way this film starts as well in what feels like the second act. I think any other film, act one, would have been yeah. Furiosa escaping with the brides. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure potentially, you know, he started writing this in the 90s. I'm sure he probably wrote that. And then just I feel like George Miller just pairs and pairs and pairs his scripts down and his dialogue down until there's bugger all there. And it's just, a, you know, a visual visual storytelling. And, and yeah, I just think it's I, I do like the way the title card comes up and then we're in act two. Yeah, me too. We're just no messing around. Yeah, and you were right. Uh, I I agree with you, Victoria, about what you said at the start. Uh, I, watching it this time, I I do think the first time I saw it, I was like, "Why is Max not doing more? Why is this not about Max? It's called Mad Max. Where's Max?" And I was a bit. I didn't have a problem with it, but it wasn't what I expected. I, and I, so I, walking into it this time, I I I, I and knowing uh, what a central part she is to the story and how much is devoted to her story and her taking the brides and her being proactive in helping them escape i enjoyed i enjoyed that more i 100 agree and i don't think it's our our fault um it's the it's the film's fault it's the title's fault it's the it's the um trailers and the press stuff they do they tell you this another film that did this was inglorious bastards where the first time you watch that and it's suddenly a film about this french woman rather than the the dirty cousin, as it were, it's it throws you yeah. off a little bit because that's not the movie you've been sold, and so it's not the filmmaker's fault because that's the film they wanted to make. But obviously, a title that says Mad Max or Inglorious Bastards, you think it's going to be their story. So that's I hundred percent agree. I think that's why the second time you're you're you know you you're ready and waiting for it. The one thing I would ask about Furiosa though, and and the brides is. She, she she escapes with these women, but what about the the pregnant women producing milk? Why don't why don't they get oh, saved? God. That made me feel so unsettled. <laughs> I, didn't. I mean, they don't well, they've been fast on their feet uh, in terms of running away, but um, <laughs> I just feel like it's a bit harsh that they get left behind. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's, the, pre- it's the pretty women that get saved. Yes. I get that. Um, the models, as it were. Um, they are literally model. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And also her relationship with the wives is like she wants to say, why does she want to, she, why is she risking herself to have this extra cargo that Mort and Joe is definitely going to come for, whereas she might be able to get away just her if she didn't have the wives in the truck maybe. I, I feel know. like she but was maybe once one of those wives and that's why, because she knows what they're going through, that's why she wants to rescue them. yeah. Mm. Yes. So, let's like um, say well, um, we should mention. I know we. You're probably going to say it anyway, but I, it, it's quite funny that Toe Cutter, the actor who played Toe Cutter, is the same actor who plays in Morton Joe, the villain from movie number one, is the villain in movie number four. Yeah, just slap a mask on him; no one will notice. that's true so yeah we're we're off basically Furios is taking the wives to freedom Max is along for the drive but he is a blood bag which I can't I can't it makes me feel so it's a really good mix of emotions or feelings because I'm very squeamish about 
um, drips and lines into just I can't cope with it. But it also makes me feel it's really harrowing the idea that a human being is just a bag of blood and can be strapped to the front of a car. I, I think it's a really good. It's a really good spectacle, but it just makes me feel so many different things at once. It's a anyway. great spectacle, isn't it? When um, when Nux's mate uh, says, uh, uh, "If you can't stand, you can't do war." I think that's a really good line, and I also yeah. think it's something that we should um, implement uh, on on the show because uh, I, I think. <laughs> It was over a year ago now, so we're going back in time, but there was one episode, not mentioning any names, where someone was a, a little bit merry uh, before the, the show and, and arguably shouldn't have been on that episode. You, you, you were saying it. You are making it sound like it wasn't you. <laughs> I remember it differently. I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe that's another occasion. But nevertheless, I think in future, should any of that happen to any one of us, I think the other people should turn to them and go, if you can't stand, you can't do pod. And that is the end of it. <laughs> would you like to direct? People, would you like to direct people to that episode where, as the episode I, goes on, I, 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 don't think, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea. I think we should crack on. Let's get okay. on. We've got a lot um, to get through. Did you have a, film? Did you have a hangover the next day, Alex? Did you have a hangover? <laughs> oh, hangover. I had a wedding. I had a wedding to go to. Enough uh, <laughs> said. Enough said. Those, those bridesmaids did not look very happy. <laughs> Moving on. Bye back. Moving on. So we've got the first of a number of chases, the War Boys in Pursuit. And what's amazing about this chase is that, so Nux, I know he's not Nux's friend, but the person that Nux has had a little argument with about if you can't stand, you can't do war. He uses himself as a human Molotov cocktail during this chase. And that's actually the calmest moment of the whole thing, which is bonkers. When I first saw this, I thought he was spraying accelerant onto his mouth. But is it just like chrome-coloured spray paint to signal that he's ready for Valhalla. It's not an actual accelerant. It's a good question. I, I think it's partly because it looks cool. Um, yeah. But I did wonder if he was getting high in the solvent from a spray can at the same yeah. time. George, George yeah, Miller said they, they chrome their teeth because chrome is such a rare thing. So uh, yeah. that was the only quote I could find from him because I couldn't figure out if it was getting them high in, in preparation for yeah. death. or Apparently that was cake spray, though. So that's actually quite nice. Oh, that's mm. nice. It probably quite sugary. It's quite good at the start as well. I think one of the things about this film is the fact that it does not feel the need to spoon feed you anything or uh, over elaborate on exposition. And I think that's really great. Like it demands that you just sort of pay attention and accept this world. Like where they go, uh, there's Bullet Town, a Bullet Farm rather, and Gas Town. Mm. And they're just introduced. And it's like a gas from Gas Town, bullets from Bullet Farm, and we're off. And there's no sort of explanation as to how that works, what the governing system is of how that relates to Immortan Joe's world. Any of that, it's just like, there are two things. Yeah. Well, he, he said that he, he was really interested in doing this film to make a film for audiences now rather than 30 years ago because he talked about the fact that we can process information much quicker today. We're speed reading films. And so he's shooting accordingly. But also, I think we're supposed to see some of our own world in in some of these details. So the War Boys, he said when he wrote them initially, that was in the 1990s, and they were kamikazes to him. Um, and now, uh, post 9-11, he sees them as suicide bombers, you know, willing to sacrifice themselves for the cause. And so, you know, all this stuff, um, you know, child, uh, the trafficking is is the brides and, and it's a comment on climate, 
climate change with the way um, that the green places disappeared. So, and, and, mm. and fascism with Immortan Joe. So all this, all this stuff, uh, we should be able to see our world in this heightened reality on screen. Yeah, I yeah. think that's fair. I think you can definitely. Yeah, I just think as well as Gas Town and Bullet Farm, they needed a makeup mall as well. I think that would have been nice if they'd uh, <laughs> popped along for some makeup at some point. But you're right. I think um, I think the one thing I didn't understand, which sort of ties into this uh, this whole like, here's just some information, deal with it. There's no explanation. When the brides talk about Nicholas Holt and they go, um, they go, he's just a kid at the end of his half life. I, mm. I couldn't work. I couldn't work out what that meant. Like, I, I think it's because people don't because Nicholas Holt's definitely got cancer. You know, he's got the lumps on him, the Larry and Barry lumps, and he's got night fevers, so he's got cancer, and he's going to die. So I think your life expectancy is so short now that you talk about it as a half life, and then you'll have the other half of your life in Valhalla. Yeah, and That's and, good. and and it ties back to Thunderdome. Um, so when Max is arriving at Bartertown, he's offered some water, but he won't drink it because there's fallout in the water, which has resulted in all these mutations. So that yeah. that's where the cancers come from, which is the water, which is why Morton Joe can can enslave everyone um, because of the water, and 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 so they've got half lives, uh, the war boys. But the um, if you look when when um, Max is deemed a universal donor, it says he's a full life. So that's why he's, oh, he's got quality, that's interesting. Yeah, quality blood, oh. but it's written on there. So again, all the details are there, but it just goes past so quickly that I, I don't think anyone could speed read fast enough to pick it all up first time. Yeah. You just, uh, you just mentioned Beyond Thunderdome there. And um, just before uh, he did Beyond Thunderdome, uh, Mel Gibson actually auditioned for Amadeus. You know the movie Amadeus? <laughs> he, uh, auditioned for the, he auditioned for the main role of Mozart Amadeus, Mel Gibson did. Oh, uh, here also, we go. Uh, I, know, I know who played that character on stage, Alex. Do you? Well, I, I, I know who played it on stage. I also know who auditioned uh, alongside Mel Gibson to play it in the film. I didn't get it either. Uh, it was Tim Curry. And that completes this week's obligatory Tim Curry reference. Carry on. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> shall we just have a little chat? Oh, actually, let's have a break first. Let's have a break. Let's have a break. Okay, we've had a break. <laughs> She's a professional broadcaster. Um, you've got, you've got to give our lovely producer Blondine enough time to put the break in. Let's <laughs> have a break. Break's done. We've finished the break. Start a break. Here we go. Break. Break, break. Break, break over. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This week at Sukarnov. On WrestleMe this week, we talked about the worst way to accept a Hall of Fame award. They were just trying to, you suck it. You suck, and then he pours milk over his Pouring milk over yourself is absolutely something that, if you did it once in any scenario, people would never forget it. We were just having Christmas dinner, and, and like, you know, he just poured two litres of milk over himself. Or if you're more in the mood for some awkward anecdotes, Alex shared his experience with the cast of a Event Horizon on this week's Clash of the Titles. We meet Smitty, played by Sean Pertwee, a man who I bumped into in a bar having never interviewed and literally chewed his ear off, trapped him in a corner of a booth where he couldn't actually stand up and get away from me and talk to him incessantly about this film. Later on in the night, his wife said to me, Sean's outside if you want to carry on talking to him about Event Horizon. (laughs) (laughs) All that and more. Back from our break, let's talk about Nux for a second because in he has quite a heartbreaking mm. character journey. He has quite a lot of dialogue in comparison to the other characters and really in comparison even to the characters in uh, Mad Max 2. So it's interesting that you were talking about suicide bombers and, and kamikazes, this sort of very ideologically driven group of people because Nicholas Holt's character sees the lie and sees through, I mean, quite quickly to be fair, but sees through the veneer of, of what he's been sold and does a full 360 and is sort of with the goodies um, towards the end. I think it creates a few issues for the act three resolution, but it's still kind of fine because Nicholas Holt is a revelation as that character. And I bought it completely. Yeah, I completely forgot that he has that he has that turnaround in this film of five years later. I completely forgot, and I ended up watching it again after I watched it this time because I thought it was so beautifully played by him. Um, it's something that 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 um, that George Miller is really interested in, as, as Alex calls on the Lost Boys and Thunderdome, and then you've got the War Boys here about people who are he calls them culturally impoverished with no books and no internet, no theatre, no radio, no music. All they have is mm. is is the detritus of the past. And they refashion it into so a steering wheel becomes a religious artifact, and they do the sign of the V8, and the engine they sacrifice their bodies on becomes sort of more than that. And so, um, it's interesting seeing how sort of a demagogue could take advantage of that, and and um, 
you know how how uh, you know that Morton Joe can turn himself into a tyrant by by brainwashing these ill-educated lads. And, yeah. also, and also, I guess what they do is they turn their acts of violence into a performance yes. in the film, which then becomes their equivalent in, in the absence of TV or theatre or anything. It becomes the stories they tell. Mm. For example, when they do something incredible or they're about to do something incredible, they shout, witness this, as in make sure you see this, because then this will become a story. Like when uh, the guy jumps off with the two exploding spears. Uh, he says, witness this beforehand. So it becomes a fable. Yeah, yeah that's, that's amazing. Because it's it's like, you you know, even if there's no theatre, TV, whatever, obviously you'd always have stories, but Immortan Joe has captured their narrative framing devices so that the only stories they can tell fit with furthering his vision. Yeah. Kind of thing. And you yeah. could say that's the overarching theme of all these movies. It's not about the same bloke bloody losing and finding his humanity over and over again, but it's the creation of, of myth and legend. Um, and even if the first film doesn't have it as much, I mean, literally from the opening shots of Mad Max, um, you're hearing about him and hearing people talk about him before you see him. You just get glimpses of his, of his, you know, his leather boots and his, his gun and stuff. And so right from the opening scenes of the first film, he was... Uh, um, this is what George Miller was examining: is how we create myth and legend in 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 culture. Mm. And he's done, he's done it. Each film is basically, you know, it's a story around a campfire. It's kind of like retelling each movie, as in what this guy did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back to the plot. After this, just unbelievable sandstorm that um, the convoy goes through, which is at once it's monochrome with these flashes of electricity, and then it's pulsing and it's red and pink, and it looks like the inside of a body. So here's a question. And quartz- here's a question. Why the hell did George Miller do that black and white or black and chrome version of this? You know, he released Fury Road in that in, with, without any color in it. When you spent all this time on the reds and the orange and the yellows of scenes like this, I just it just it doesn't make any sense to me why he'd bother doing that. Because he actually wanted to shoot. Originally, he wanted Fury Road to be shot in black and white. He wanted to shoot the whole thing in black and white. He didn't want to make a colour version. And the studio wouldn't let him because they said it would put off blockbuster audiences, probably mm. correctly. And so um, he then went the other way entirely and demanded that uh, the film, every scene in the film, had to be littered with as much colour and be as bright as possible. But did he say so why he, he wanted to shoot it in black and white? Because this is what I don't understand. Um, when Bon Jong-un did, um, did Parasite, he did the black and white version of that. He wasn't. He didn't, he didn't um, lie or, or pretend anything other than the truth. He just said, I wondered what it would look like in black and white. It's, it, the film wasn't supposed to be in black and white at any point. But, but I don't understand what the, the logic was here. I think it's because it makes things look cool. Right. <laughs> that is it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a photograph of yourself taken in black and white, but you will look better than you do in colour. Oh, no, I 100% so. agree. But I think this film would look less cool. I think it does look less cool in black and white. But Yeah, I, I agree with you, Chris. Um, I, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a scene early on when they first launch the flares as they're gaining on the war rig mm. um, and Morton Joe and his gang and the flares. I get goosebumps mm. when those flares explode yeah, in the sky. It's, it's so beautiful. I genuinely, my notes for this film have, it's so beautiful written over and over <laughs> and over again. At one point I felt a little bit like Jodie Foster in contact going, no, <laughs> no words, no words. I'm ready to go. <laughs> okay to go. Okay to go. Okay to go. 
Oh, uh, where are we up to? Okay, so Max is recruited by Furiosa into sort of joining their mission, which is to get to the green place. Um, and after an amazing chase, we lose uh, one of the, the pregnant wife, Ang Harrod, and she's presumed dead. And this is to show, I th- well, it's to do a lot of things, but it shows that Max is kind of warming up a bit because um, Ang Harrod nearly dies and she's on the side of the rig and he sort of looks at her like, I hope you're all right. And then just as he's done that look, she just gets swept under the wheels of the oncoming vehicle and the classic sort of, we're going to leave her behind because we've got a bigger mission. And he has no problem with that. Um, when they introduced the brides, um, when the brides are first introduced, is quite a good scene. Uh, when Max sort of opens his eyes and then he rounds, sorry, he rounds the corner of the war rig and they're just spraying each other with the hose. Now, I know you, you, you find uh, movies where women have fun by spraying each other uh, an issue, Victoria. I think in this instance, it. it's different because they are cleaning each other off. Uh, that sounded weird. Uh, <laughs> don't know why it's How hard are they cleaning Anyone each other off? <laughs> okay. Uh, now, my point is a valid one, though, because it does it does make you realise that they have led, uh, whether they want to escape or not. Uh, well, they do want to escape, but they've led quite a sheltered life because of like yeah. how how wasteful they're being of the water. They've got no idea what it's like out on the wasteland. Mm. And um, I also uh, do like the chastity belt with teeth, uh, <laughs> even if it reminds me a lot of Robin Hood men in tights. Um, it, um, it, it's five wives here as well, but originally it was seven. Um, and that's because George Miller um, was going back to these old Aboriginal legends and myths that, in, that traditionally involved um, seven wives. But he had to narrow it down to five because he couldn't fit that many in the cabin of the, of the rig. Um, and when he was asked if 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 this if uh this was ever just going to be a max story and and how furiosa came into it and he said it was always a a woman rescuing the wives because if it had been max it became a story about one man stealing another man's wives which is a very different tale oh yeah yeah Yeah, i'm very i'm totally on board like the fact that it's a woman rescuing women you're allowed to have you know for me you can have vulnerable women and strong women and that's fine but if you've got vulnerable women being rescued by a strong man it's just a very different story and i don't it's not that i don't enjoy that story but i'd like to see something a bit different which is a very strong woman helping out her peers kind of thing um so the baby, uh, so yeah, ugh, the baby uh, is cut out of Ang Harrod, um, and another month, and it would have been a nearly viable human, but the baby doesn't make it, and neither does she. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, she don't make it. And um, there's a good bit. Um, there's a good bit where Immortan Joe um, gets Nicholas Holt to try and help him oh, yeah. uh, take back the rig, and like Nicholas Holt is overwhelmed at the fact that Immortan Joe is talking to him and is giving him this mission, and then he totally fucks it up. He gets his chain caught on something and falls off the side. And Immortan Joe uses a burn that is something I really feel should be brought into the real world, and everyone should say it. When someone does something less than impressive, you should do what Immortan Joe does, which is just go, mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Like your performance in the what quiz. Good. <laughs> it's not like that was rubbish it's just like mediocre brilliant <laughs> but it's the look on it such as his face is he's like if you want something fucking done you've got to do it yourself <laughs> it is brilliant <laughs> uh the rig is stuck in the mud so this is where because 
uh, Immortan Joel sort of burning Nooks in that way helps Nooks on this journey to sort of see him through his leader. And he redeems himself at this point by helping the rig, which is stuck in the mud, helping it uh, like lash it around a, uh, a rope, around a, a rope, a chain around a tree. It's not working. And this is the bit I like the most in this scene is then Sh- uh, Charlie Sterren sort of gets down by the wheel and gives it a push. <laughs> and because she's such a badass, you're like, that might make the difference actually. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's this massive rig. It's round a tree, but she's like, oh, just give it a push, and then we're off. Um, So we are on our way. Well, no, doesn't she find her old clan kind of by accident, or does she know where she's going? Because at this point, we see a naked woman in a kind of hanging basket, um, quickly identified as bait, but she is part of the, (laughs) say it without laughing, the Vuvalini, um, which is Furiosa's old clan from which she was kidnapped. Um, and she's reunited with them. And it's, it is really affecting when she talks about the length of time she's been away for. I wasn't sure if this is how they mark time in this imaginary world, but she knows the exact number of days, which means that she's never been fully assimilated into Immortan Joe's cult because she's been counting the time so specifically and she lost her mum on the third day. And that's very sad. It's weird, isn't it? Because they're about the same age, Tom Hardy and Furiosa, and so clearly their characters are approximately the same age, which means I don't understand how the timeline matches up. I know there's not really meant to be much continuity between the films, but she was born into this sort of clan, the Vuvalini, uh, around, and that feels like a wasteland. That feels like a post-apocalypse clan. Mm. And yet Max, at this point, like he hadn't even... Sort of join the M- uh, MP, what were they called? Alex, Alex, there is no continuity. George Miller has no interest in continuity, so there's no point in even thinking about it. He's okay. just, well, I did start just, losing my mind. It's, it says it's a, you know, what he's trying to do is talk about human behavior repeating over time, and he's got this same character repeating over time, and he actually compares it to James Bond. In the in the way that he'd be, uh, it sounds like he'd be quite happy to let other people tell Mad Max stories when he's had enough. Okay, right. Well, I'm not going to try and work out the chronology then. Don't Good. bother. Thank uh, so anyway, the green place is this uh, blasted wasteland. Um, Furios has this howl of pain in the desert and all Max can do is look on because this isn't his story. Um, but the film is named after him, so he's going to come up with the plan, which is we're going to turn around and we're going to go back the way we came because if there's there's only salt in front of us and there's this the green place is this wasteland behind us, we're going to go back to the citadel, which is now undefended, and we're going to take it. And I think someone at some point says it'll be quite easy, <laughs> which is good. Do you, do you think the um, the when he when he when she says we're going to drive across the salt plains in that direction, and he goes, you can drive hundreds of miles, hundred days in that direction, you won't find anything. Is that because that like that was the sea basically? They're driving on the seabed. Do you think? That- oh wow, I never thought that. I did. It's quite. It works. I was a bit like, well, why? Why? How do you know? Because have you done it? But if you've done it, I buy that you've done it because you're this unknowable character and you could have been wandering around all over the place. It's a very clever moment, though, earlier on where she is directing the war rig into the mountain canyon and he goes, don't go that way. So he clearly knows the landscape and he knows where he is at that point and tells him to avoid the mountain pass because he knows there's a gang on motorbikes. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. So you are led to believe he is a very worldly man. Yeah. And it, I mean, everyone's really excited about the plan. Um, the brides are excited about it. The older ladies, the Vulvalini. How, how am I saying that? I just, I've all I've written is vulva, which is not right, is it? Vuvuzela so, is how you say it. 
<laughs> I love the Vuvuzela. Oh, that takes me back. No one loved the Vuvuzela. No I honestly did. I got really into it. I really did. I missed it when it was over with. I did. Just that. It was such an annoying noise. But uh, very evocative. Um, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so we are on our way back. We've got another incredible chase sequence. It's slightly repetitive, but it is livened up this time because we've got older ladies getting stuck in and the polecats, which have been mentioned earlier in the film and hinted at... Um, with uh, in Mad Max 2, but now they're finally used to full effect. So, so Max at one point, he just keeps getting like plucked off vehicles and thrown all over the place. And it is quite, uh, it's quite hard to watch because it's quite dazzling and there's, a, there's so much going on, but obviously it is no, incredible. No words. No, no words. <laughs> no words. Uh, no words. Uh, yeah, there's a bit where... Um, Tom Hardy's head, you know, you always sort of go, I wonder how they did that and did they do it for real? And is that the actor? Is that a stuntman that looks very real? It's a bit where Tom Hardy's uh, like suspended like from the war rig and his head is very close to the ground and they're traveling along. And he's, that's really him. He's, uh, no. he's there. Yeah, he's there. He's got wires attaching him to the actual war rig to make sure uh, he doesn't hit the ground. Uh, but Tom Hardy's son came to set and uh, voiced some concerns uh, about the, <laughs> how thin the wires were that were keeping his dad's head from touching the ground. And he asked George Miller what might happen if the wires snapped. And George Miller said, I suppose he'll go under the wheels. What? Oh, my no, God. he didn't say that. <laughs> He's a nice man. I, I imagine he was joking, but I, he did say it. Wow. Wow. Oh, okay. I mean, Tom Hardy looks terrified when his head is nearly being like cheese grated over the desert floor. Um, I just assumed that was not him and it it wasn't happening for real, but I think I was just protecting myself because it's too scary really otherwise. Mm. Um, So anyway, uh, oh, best bit of this obviously is Furiosa is on the side of Immortan Joel's cab and she rips his face off to death. (laughs) (laughs) Still, still, Still makes me flinch. What a yeah. what a great death! It's so awful. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, she, and when it's she also, says, "It's also using something like I guess like he's sort of privileged. Like if he wasn't Immortan Joe, he would be dead because of whatever issue he has with his lungs. Yeah. Um, but because he's privileged, he's had this thing built to keep him alive, and it's the thing that it's his sign of privilege uh, that is the thing that un- ultimately undoes him." Yeah. And also she says, well, she growls it out, but she says, remember me, which is a really interesting thing to throw in at this late stage because she's such a trusted imperator. Um, you think they may have had a personal relationship and then we're putting, piecing these things together that maybe she was one of the wives and maybe she was a sex slave and maybe she forced pregnancies and all of this. But she assumes he wouldn't even remember her, even if that was the case. And that is super dark. Mm. Yeah. So still, I mean, he's name-checked her earlier on in the film, so he clearly does know exactly who she is. So her saying, remember me, it's like, well, yeah, I remember when I said, Imperator Furiosa's driving the war ring. (laughs) That's true, actually. Obviously, I I know who you are. You're Imperator Furiosa. Yeah, I really just you, yeah, yeah. Hands off my mask, (laughs) that'll hurt. Yeah, I, I thought, I don't know whether she was... 
I sort of read it differently. I, I, it doesn't really work how I read it, but I don't think the way you said it works either because he obviously remembers who she is. But I sort of read it like the idea that wherever he's going, whether it's to hell or Valhalla or whatever, just remember it was me that killed you. Mm, I thought, I thought, that's thought, what I thought, thought as well. Okay. Oh, okay. Not like when you, you say, oh, remember me to your mum and dad. You know when, when someone's going to say Remember there? me? <laughs> Not like that. It's no, more like, it's, remember me. Yeah, it's more remember me rather than remember me. <laughs> Hello. Hiya. Furious <laughs> Furiosa here. <laughs> Circa Alex Zane, 2016. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Nux dies at this point with, with the music and Nux's death, which is a heroic death. It started to feel, and maybe it had always felt like this, but a lot like a war film. Like the music behind his sacrifice uh, very. Um, well, he is a war swell. boy. He is a war boy. So he is a war boy. To be fair to him, um, Furiosa is in a bad way. So Max acts as a blood bag, which is is cool, but also a bit like, <clears throat> is that all? Is that all you can do? Kind of thing. Like um, that's how you save someone's life. But um, he then gives her this little morsel, which is he tells her his real name, having been referred to by her as fool earlier on, and seeming a bit reluctant to tell her his name. And I love that as a payoff, and it's fine as a as a thing. But I, I was sort of hoping for something a bit juicier than his name, given that I already know his name, and so maybe there was a secret that we could have found out at that same time that that would have um buttoned it for me yeah 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 i'm your brother perhaps <laughs> <laughs> remember me <laughs> <laughs> Rem- wait do you mean remember me or remember me what say it, max. max it is max right max say it again <laughs> uh, so we get back to the citadel now this is my one like thing where it's like I love it and I, I love the fact that uh, Furiosa claims the Citadel but I do think it's a shame that there was no last fight and that there probably wasn't time and there probably wasn't the money but they walk into the Citadel and Immortan and Max throws Immortan Joe's body or reveals it sorry pulls off the sheet and shows everyone the body so the war boys are inculcated in Immortan Joe culture as exemplified by Nooks but they, they're not like, oh, my God, you've killed him, and now we're going to kill you. They're like, yay, he's dead. And that's they also them, fine. They call them war pups, don't they? They said there's just the pups left. So they're not sort of fully, I guess, fully indoctrinated war boys. They're just young kids who look like yeah. war boys in the making. But then it's then you're saying that every single person in that crowd, those emaciated, huddled masses, every single person hates Immortan Joe and is waiting for him to die. And if you've been indoctrinated, I don't think that's how you would feel. Um, I expected there to be one more fight. So you've got a kind of a fake ending when they walk into the Citadel and they, there is just a battle to be done before she gets to claim it for herself. Mm. But I totally get why there wasn't. I mean, yeah. given... The, the fact that it took however many years to even get this far, there probably wasn't time. And maybe no one thought it was necessary, but... You know how much I love action. I think another fight at this point would have broken me. I, I was <laughs> ready ready for it to end when it ended. Yeah. I, any more fighting, I'd have been like, oh, for fuck's sake, come on. <laughs> I do have one more little fact, which is about a prequel called Furious... It's actually called Furious Furiosa. So, Alex, I think you might need to talk to George Miller about that. Um, Wonderful a- name! What a name! <laughs> That's incredible. I know it's really, it's, it just really tells you everything about her. I think. Furious, um, furiosa. Furious, wow. furiosa. So it's, it's in advanced development. Remember me. <laughs> 
question mark um they Charlize Theron probably isn't going to be in it because uh, George Miller has talked about using the CG de-aging technique and um, really loving what they've done on the Irishman, but not feeling that it's quite there yet for him. So it won't be her, which is a bit of a shame. It's Anya um, Taylor. It's Anya Taylor Joy. Mm. It's, is um, it? Yeah, she, yeah. From uh, no, she auditioned over Zoom during lockdown and got the part. No way! Yeah. No way! Yeah. <laughs> That's from amazing. The- yeah, the Queen's Gambit. Uh, if you don't know who that name is, yeah, she was recently in the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, she's good. I think she's a great choice. I think she. Oh, was, oh. Yeah, good for her. Amazing. Yeah, uh, Chris Hemsworth is also in it, uh, along with uh, Yaha Yaya Abdul Mateen the second, who we obviously talked about on that really weird pairing of Waterworld and, <laughs> <laughs> and Aquaman. Oh, the Fishmen, Fishmen pairing, terrific. Fishmen, yeah. Now and now, I really that's it. That's really all I have. Would you like to do the bits? Do you have any more? No, let's do it. Let's okay. Do it. Uh, Chris, what was your best scene? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, I, you know what? I'm going to say the chase through the caves at the start because I feel like we know that George Miller can do cars, but it was really lovely to see a foot chase for a change in one of his films. And I kind of would have liked maybe to see it mixed up a little more throughout the film uh, rather than just the car thing because we've seen the car thing before. So, yeah, I like that just because it was quite refreshing. And also it was just so kinetic and exciting. Um, I love that scene. And the fight scene that he does between Furiosa and Max by the war rig when they first meet is also a really well done fight scene. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. What's your best scene, Alex? Uh, it's the very first attack on the war rig uh, by the first gang that they meet before a Morton Joe's caught up with them who drive the spiky cars and basically look like Tuscan Raiders from Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> the cars I that ate Paris. The, actually, the cars that ate Paris as well. Do you know? You know that Peter Weir film with spiky cars oh, yes. in it from the one of the early exploitation films. It's it's obviously an homage to that. The spiky cars, which is very cool. Uh, yeah, I just think for me, I, I love it when the polecats turn up later. Uh, but it's this first this first car chase where you first see how amazing and what a spectacle and how goddamn beautiful and the action is going to be and also seeing like what he's done before in like the road warrior and how he's upgraded it for this it's it's just incredible and you like i I think it's also before and i i do love this film from start to finish but action fatigue does set in in this movie by the end i'm a bit like all right i'm a bit worn out by all the action and this is the first time you see the car-based action in the film so it's still really exciting at this point yeah agreed my my is also the same as chris's like almost word for word the the opening scene the chase through the caves because it establishes where you you know you get your foot in with what's about to happen and that sort of that that excitement of like this is what i'm going to be living through for the next 2 hours is um makes it yeah amazing um most valuable whatever alex um i'm going with tom hardy and i i, I genuinely like think he is a phenomenal actor. Like, I think he is genuinely, and I do mean this genuinely, one of the most exciting actors working today because he does like a thing where he'll take a role that he's given and approach it in such a unique way and portray a character unlike anything that you'd expect from the kind of character that he's playing. And I think like in all his films, like Inception, Lawless, like The Drop... Uh, the Revenant, like he just does make strange character choices uh, in, in how they come across on screen. And I think it's really, really exciting. Do you think he's better, uh, a better mad, a better Max than Mel Gibson? 
Um, I think he's the right Max for now, for sure. I think uh, that sounds like uh, that sounds like a politician's answer. I think he's the right Max for now. I don't think it's. I don't think you can judge them uh, really because I think what Mel Gibson is the driving force behind the Mad Max movies he's in, and I, uh, Tom Hardy isn't in this. I think you know where we, we, we're on different sides of the fence. Whether it's Furiosa's story or Max's story, I know you think it's um, it's Furiosa's story, but I just think he's given less to do here as Max than Mel Gibson was when he was Max. So I, I don't think they're really entirely comparable. Also, Alex, it is all right to say that you're scared of him and you don't want him to fall out with you next time you see him. That's fine. He's quite an imposing person, I imagine. Which so one? That's, that's cool. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I was uh, thinking of Tom Hardy, but um, having do let me know if you interview Mel Gibson because I've got I a did. few comments. I did interview Mel Gibson <laughs> for Daddy's Home too. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, of of the two, Tom Hardy, Mel Gibson. Uh, Mel Gibson's scarier. <laughs> unless you're, I think I've told you this before. Unless you're interviewing him on the set of Bronson when he stayed in character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see, this is that's such a Tom Hardy thing to do as well, and like. I think sometimes, like I think he's quite uh, quite an imposing presence on a film set in terms of his belief in how he should play a role. And I do think sometimes it doesn't work. I think you watch a film like Legend, and he's fucking brilliant in Legend, but I think the rest of the film suffers because of how big his performance is. And I think it maybe just shows up like a film that doesn't can't keep up with his performance sometimes. Um, so, uh, but I just, I find him so exciting to watch. Yeah, me too. Uh, what's yours, Chris? Uh, I mentioned getting the different Brian May to score the, the previous film. Um, I've got a quote from George Miller in 85. He said, I've never been able to figure out how to fit rock and roll music into a Mad Max film. I can't be- believe we haven't mentioned him already, but the doof warrior is my MVW. <laughs> He's the man with the guitar on the front of a rig and he is going for it with fire coming out of his guitar and rock music. And so I'm really pleased that George Miller figured out a way to fit rock and roll music into a Mad Max film. I'm just surprised it was this way. <laughs> he, he, and it was the the guy the i think he's like a, a visual artist or something the australian guy who um who plays the uh the guitar in it he was actually controlling the fire that came out of his guitar himself with the whammy bar so he'd hit the whammy bar <laughs> and fire would come out of the end of his guitar which is amazing except that it would make every time you used a whammy bar after that really disappointing like <laughs> you just use it for a whammy bar like wah, wah, wah. you're and, like and I, I, fire. I imagine he lives at burning man as well his name's iota <laughs> his name is iota <laughs> Uh, mine is to quote uh the journalist chris tilly from episode one i'm a big fan of your choices but someone should say george miller so Mm. i'm gonna say george miller for just hanging on in there not and also not fucking up his own vision when you've got like unbelievable amounts of money being thrown at you compared to where you started but also to hang on in there for all those years and all those setbacks and to stick to your vision and pull it off. And oh God, like, you know, I'm sure a lot of the crew, uh, cast rather, felt that their lives may be in danger at some point because it's just bananas. But he pulled it off. Everyone was safe. It's a job well done. <laughs> that is the same as going, uh, it was a great shoot. No one died. No one died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
was your day. No one died. Is it, is it any good? <laughs> Did you not just hear me? No one died. No one died. And it's finished. So... <laughs> it's finished and no one died. So then the Congratulations, rest is... George. Another fantastic shoot. No one died. Uh, right. If you could change one thing, Chris, what would you change? Uh, I'm going to contradict what we've all been saying, I think, throughout this episode, but I'd cut out all the bits between the action. <laughs> and, and who knows maybe that's what he will end up doing he does seem to be um you know paring down uh the form of these films so i think we will maybe just get a um a, 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 a two-hour action sequence for before he's done with this and you alex um i would like to have seen the character of the gyro captain uh, return as he did in Beyond Thunderdome from The Road Warrior. Uh, I think he should be in this, um, not just because I, I I like the character, uh, and I don't necessarily think uh, Bruce Spence uh, would play him, seeing as obviously Max has been recast in this as well. But I do think he adds a lightness to the proceedings that I do think is missing from this film, just a little bit more humour. And if I could uh, throw my hat in with one actor who should have played him, I'm going with uh, Reese Siffins. I think oh, yeah, it looks exactly like him. <laughs> uh, well, you're wrong. That's it's, not it's, it's about his talent. It's Mackenzie Crook. But, um, uh, but that's something I actually had on my list of changes. Is is Alex? Is that because he plays someone who flies in both two and three, and the power mm. of flight is so important in both those films. It's disappeared from this one. Where has yeah, that gone in part great. four? And that's maybe he'll introduce it in in the Furiosa movie. But it was just interesting that that we we lost that from this one. Yeah. Which I think adds an element to the action as well. Like not just like in terms of the story and the world and where how there is one flying vehicle, but visually it's great to have something flying alongside a chase sequence. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, my change, and this is dark as you like, but I want to believe that Immortan Joe is the worst of the worst and has complete disregard for most human life, but especially the lives of the women that he's using as baby machines. So when Ang Harrod goes under the wheels of the car and in the film that we see, he holds her body and he's like, no, I think he should have someone cut the baby out of her at that moment on the side of the road because she's absolutely useless to him because he thinks she's dead so why is he keeping her body because he wants the baby and so uh, he's just I know, I know. and she and as, as the knife hits her belly she opens her eyes and screams and then dies what's the belief you <laughs> yeah you wanted, wanted it dark <laughs> you wanted it dark that's dark yeah sorry i shouldn't shame that's you for going it. let's go there i'll take it and run with it yeah <laughs> Yeah, I know. I couldn't believe I was thinking that. I was like, that's absolutely what should have happened. Um, So that's it. We're done. All right. Lovely. Uh, Well, uh, that was Fury Road. It went up against Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Oh, it's going to win. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. Uh, So um, does anyone particularly want to go first? Shall I go first? Go first, Alex. Go um, yeah. Well, thanks for that vote of confidence. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, so both are great films, uh, in my opinion. The spectacle of Fury Road makes me weep tears of joy. I love Tom Hardy's take as Max, and uh, I genuinely do think the action is uh, uh, it's art. It's, it's a beauty rarely seen done on screen 
practically. Uh, the Road Warrior is a film that blew my mind as a kid, and it's a vision of the future and its production design that's had this massive impact on subsequent movies and video games and everything. So what this came down to for me is that both films have really lean stories. And yet one has a lean story that still packs more of an emotional punch than the other. And that is what I voted on this week. The film that I think, despite the lean storytelling, has huge emotional beats to it. So I am going with Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Oh, wow. I was not expecting that. Yeah. Yeah, I cried in Mad Max 2 and as well as loving the action. And uh, Mad Max Fury Road, I just sort of sat back and loved the action, but it didn't hit me in my tiny little heart. So what you're saying is you don't <laughs> care about pregnant women? As much as I care about dogs. No, you're absolutely right. I'll stand by that. <laughs> oh dear. Do you want to go next, Chris? I'm easy. You go on, you do it, Vicky. All right, I'll be quick. So I do love how in Mad Max 2, Max stays peripheral to the heart of the um, the emotional beats. He's just helping those people escape. And yet you still care about him and you care about what happens next to them. Whereas in Fury Road, you, you know, you've got a character that famously doesn't connect with anyone, but he is kind of invested in what happens to the women um, and everything going on around him. And even when he leaves at the end, you sort of are a little bit surprised, whereas I quite like the coldness of Mad Max 2. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm still definitely going to go. Um, but I do love how strong a character Furiosa is in Fury Road. And she's the sort of character that will stay with me. And then you've just told me about Anya Taylor-Joy. And it's like, I'm really excited to see that because I'm really interested to know uh, where she came from and the thing is obviously as an action movie you can't really fault fury road like you just the way it makes you feel it's a it's 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 thrilling um and they're both brilliant pieces of cinema in their own way but i am quite shallow and i'm just going to go with the thing that blew my mind visually so fury road what a piece christopher tilly aka chris thrilly where are you going? Well, like I said, I've really enjoyed this week. I've loved celebrating the brilliance of George Miller and his mastery of the form, crafting emotion through action and plot through these tiny details. That economy of storytelling is pure cinema. And I'll say I was impressed by the spectacle of both these movies, even if they do leave me quite cold. The Mad Max films just in general do that. Um, Fury Road is almost too much. It's so exhausting that if I'm in the mood for a Mad Max movie, I think I might sooner put on The Road Warrior. Uh, but equally, the uh, Fury Road is George Miller at the height of his powers. He talked about he learned editing, making the first film. He learned where to put the camera from doing the Happy Feet movies, funnily enough. And so using, <laughs> using all the tools at his disposable and everything he's learned along the way, I feel like Fury Road is the ultimate Mad Max movie, so it's going to be that. <gasps> okay. Again, I feel this keeps happening. I oh am, my god! No, I'm not. I'm not, not going to mention the poll. Oh, really? Okay, there is a poll on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned it last week when Event Horizon when you didn't mention the poll, and I was going to bring it up, but I thought, no, don't stoop to that level. Um, <laughs> but now anyway. you feel now you feel ready to stoop. Is that what you're saying, <laughs> Alex? You're supposed uh, to do the big announcement. Why are you doing this? You spoil it. You spoil it when you lose. Um, I am thrilled. Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> is our winner this week. Congratulations. 
A few weeks ago, uh, we did uh, three uh, three Nicolas Cage movies, uh, and on on the pod, congratulations, uh, George won. Miller. Fury Road has won this week, <laughs> <laughs> and and then there was a so poll. What about next week? What about next week's it's, movies? It's at at Clash Pod, The Rock, The Rock won. Like I said, it would. Right, next week's uh, uh, movies. Uh, Chris, what was the clue? You gave us. Well, there was a brilliant clue that uh, Vicky, Alex and myself came up with on Twitter, which should have helped you all. But the clue I said was sex and drugs and rock and roll and disco and violence. And so the films we are pulling together, are Victoria, you have got Goodfellas. And Alex, you have got Boogie Nights. And we will talk about the similarities between those two films, of which there are many. You'll be surprised to hear, potentially, uh, next week. Boogie Nights versus Goodfellas. We start with Goodfellas on Monday. There is your homework for the weekend. Thank you very much for listening. Congratulations to Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, Please do follow us on Twitter at ClashBard, on Instagram at ClashBard, and rate and review us. And indeed, subscribe to us if you haven't done already, wherever you get your pods. And if you're able to do that, that would be lovely. Take care. Goodfellas on Monday. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.